The Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Gambling Podcast Network is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Underdog has just added Pick'em Scorchers. You can win 100 times your money. That's right. Turn $5 into $500 with just one game. Plus, every Sunday, they're giving away $100,000. Use promo code SGPN. Underdog Fantasy for a 100% deposit bonus up to $500. We're also brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets, the sports betting research platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit hofbets.com. Use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month and start making smarter bets today. Plus, NBA action is back, and so is the NBA Gambling Podcast. To celebrate, we're giving away an NBA Gambling Podcast hoodie. Head over to sportsgamepodcast.com slash NBA dog for all the details. Welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. It is currently Monday evening, October 23rd. And I'm your host, as always, Scott Reichel, once again, going solo for this pod. Should be a bit of a longer episode. We have two tournaments to preview, two 500s, actually, with Basel and Vienna. So we're going to preview both those going through the quarters and the outrights before getting to some lock and dog picks on matches at the end of the show. Before we get into any of that, have some housekeeping to do. Got to A, recap what happened in the last episode. B, got to recap the finals that happened in Tokyo Antwerp and Stockholm on Sunday. C have to actually talk about some news that has unfolded over the last couple of days in the tennis world. Starting off with the elephant in the room, though, why did we not have an episode for the Sunday matches? And the reason is because I was traveling, last second travel uh, trip there for me. So because of that, I was not able to actually find the time to record. So apologies there, but we are back with the normal schedule. Now, as for the actual plays, we gave out in the semis. Unfortunately, it went 0-2. Ended up taking two overs. We had the over in games in the Kotov and Kikmanovic match. That did not get there as Kotov won in straight sets. And we also ended up having the over two and a half sets in the Bublik and Martera match. And Bublik won in straight sets. So both matches, in a way, were kind of similar. Where if you actually watched it, both players weren't separated by much. But the main difference was we needed each player to have moments breaking serve and both Kikmanovic and Martera didn't get the memo because they weren't able to break basically for the entire match. Kikmanovic's was worse because Bublik's still a very good server when he actually hits first serves. But Kotov is really not a great server, but he kept doing the same kick serve over and over and over again, and Kikmanovic made no adjustments in the entire match, and you saw a couple of deuces there where, once again, some of these games were very competitive, but the problem was Kikmanovic just couldn't break through because he kept losing a lot of the big deuce points on Kotov's serve, and because of that, eventually Kotov was able to break Kikmanovic's serve, and that was the story of the match, but either way, I ended up going 0-2, so apologies there. Look to get back on track here in this episode, but going to segue into the actual finals that happened in Tokyo, Antwerp, and Stockholm on Sunday. Starting off with the first match, Shelton was able to win his first ATP title as he beat Karatsev 7-5-6-1. He also ended up cracking into the top 15 in the ATP rankings, so congrats to him for his first title, a career-high ranking, and... A shot at Turin. It's unlikely, but he does have a shot to make it to the ATP Finals if he just goes full-on just beast mode for the next couple of weeks and months. So we'll see if Shelton can do the impossible, basically. But either way, Shelton looks like the face of American tennis moving forward. I know Korda has had some moments, but he's too much of a head case. Uh, you have Tiafo, who's still a head case, which is definitely going to be concerning for him to break through. And you're just looking at all the other options I don't see much in terms of uh, New York, and not in terms of New York, in terms of uh, American tennis moving forward for actual upside to win Grand Slam events. 
I once again have to at least point to the Tiafo performance in New York in the U.S. Open as a serious red flag where he just completely punted that match against Shelton when things got rough, and I just can't trust him moving forward. So Shelton, as far as I'm concerned, is the best chance for American tennis to break the Roddick curse, if you want to call that, as being the last guy to actually win a Grand Slam event. I have to at least bring it up because it's been a long time, basically 20 years, and I think Shelton is the best hope moving forward, and it continues to get better. His rally tolerance has gotten better. His serve is still great, and you're looking at his overall skill set. He's improving. Now, is he still like a far way away in some aspects? Maybe not a far way away, but I do think he can improve a little bit more in some areas of his game, but he's definitely progressing. He's still very young, and I do think in the post-Djokovic, and I mean, Nadal at this point is basically playing a couple of tournaments as a farewell tour, but as long as Djokovic... Uh, is retiring in the next couple of years, and he's not going to be the same guy, worst case scenario, if he does stay around, then I do think Shelton can find himself some openings where he could maybe break through. Until Djokovic retires, or at least declines rapidly, he's going to be favored in basically every event, either him or Alcaraz, so I don't think Shelton will break through there. We saw Djokovic bury him easily in the U.S. Open semis. But I think when you're looking at how his potential future is shaping up, in the post-Djokovic era, I think Shelton's got the most upside. And I do think that, once again, Shelton, being only 21 years old, does have a lot of skills that can translate at a couple of Grand Slam events, which could result in maybe a final appearance, maybe even a title, still a couple years down the road. But I do think he will crack into the top 10 at some point in the next couple of years. But either way, props to Shelton, who was disastrous for the first half of the year, basically, besides the Australian Open uh, deep run. And then he was able to save a season in the hardcourt swing, U.S. Open, making it to the semis, and then winning a title in Tokyo. So congrats to him. So either way, moving on from there, you had Bublik who ended up beating Phils. That hurt us a lot more than the other ones because we had Phils to win the event at around 9 or 10 to 1, and he was favored in the finals. If you wanted to hedge, you actually could have. But unfortunately, Bublik was serving extremely well. The first serve was fantastic. Phils had no answers, and he simply put, ran out of time. He was not able to break, and Bublik did a good enough job of breaking a service game in each set, and that was the story. So unfortunately, our outright went up in flames as Phils beat Tsitsipas just to lose to Bublik in the final. And then for the final event, you had Stockholm, which was a very fun match between Kotov and Monfi, and it looked like Kotov had it under control as he won the first set 6-4. Then he was up love 40 at 5-5 in the second set. So it looked like Kotov was about five minutes away from winning the, to- uh, the uh, title. And then Monfi said not so fast. He ended up holding in that 5-5 game down to love 40. Then he ended up winning the set in a tiebreaker. And then Kotov just had nothing left. His confidence was shot as Monfi broke immediately. Almost went down an immediate double break as Monfi actually had 1540 into the 1-3 service game for Kotov. Did not convert, but then he did break the next service game for Kotov, and eventually he won 6-3 in the final. Now, Monf- in the final set. So Monfi set a little bit of history in that win because Monfi became just the fourth player ever, 37 years or older, to win ATP title since 1990. Now, Federer did it five times. Uh, Karlovich did it twice. 
I think it would have been three if he didn't choke away that City Open final to Monfi. But Lopez also did it once in Queens Club back in 2019. Shout out to Feliciano, who did retire. So Monfi is once again the fourth player to ever do it in the last 33 years. So congrats to him. Monfi, at this point in his career, I viewed as kind of being a part-time player because he was rehabbing a lot. He also has a kid now, and I wasn't sure how dedicated he was to tennis. He proved me wrong because simply put, he won a title, and I got to give him props for it. So congrats to Monfi for set, making history and for proving he's not washed as he was able to win a title in thrilling fashion. Now, that's going to segue me into the actual news I wanted to talk about because I wanted to get into a couple of stories. First one was Monfi. So congrats to him. He's proven that even though you might not be in your prime anymore, you can still be good enough to get the job done for a glorious week, and that's what Monfi ended up having. Am I picking him to make a dream run at the Australian Open? No, but the point is he definitely has shown that he's not totally cooked, and I do think, once again, when I was fading him, initially after his return, and we made a lot of money fading him, as he looked awful. It goes to show that it does take some time to fully recover, both physically and mentally, from a serious injury. And we have seen Monfi go through the growing pains of recovering from a serious injury. And now he's on top of the tennis world winning a title, which I don't think anybody, including me, thought was going to happen in Stockholm before the tournament started. Now, I do want to segue into the first piece of news that I wanted to talk about. And this was going to date back to an actual talking point that we had about a week ago or so. As Sharapova made some comments about the pay disparity between the men's tournament and the women's tournament taking place in Asia. And besides the fact that she was comparing a 250 in women's to a 1,000 in men, which is just insane, I want to go back to what I said regarding her comments. And it's going to segue me into the news story because I basically said that men's tennis is a bigger draw for viewership and not enough people care about women's tennis. And I said that some of it has to do with the start times that are very weird, at least on the... Uh, American time zones in either the East Coast, West Coast, or in between. A lot of people are now waking up at 5 in the morning to watch women's tennis. So that was also a factor. But the main point was that the men's tennis, I'd say, is just a better overall product. And I do think that, once again, more casual fans care about men's tennis and find it more entertaining to watch. And that sounds sexist, but it's a reality. It is what it is. I'm just going to be totally honest with you. And the reason why I bring it up is because my comments and stance was basically reaffirmed by somebody with high standing in the overall tennis uh, landscape. So Kazakhstan Tennis Federation Vice President Yuri Polsky had some quotes, and it's going to date back to, I'm going to tie this into one of the news stories that broke over the past day or so. So he talked with the WTA, and he basically said the WTA is in a very bad place, and could go into bankruptcy in 2026 or 2027 if the financial situation does not change. Now, he also had some other quotes to dive in a bit deeper about a merger. He said, for the WTA, it's a matter of survival. For the ATP, it's a matter of reputation. ATP leaders don't want the WTA to collapse because the optics would be very bad. The ATP is in good shape. The tour has reserves, players of retirement funds. The ATP is exploring its options. The question is, on what conditions could the merger be achieved? Is it un it is unclear what the ATP's share would be in the merger and what exactly the extent would be for the ATP to subsidize the WTA? And he also made some comments about equal prize money. You have to understand the equal that equal prize money does not 
mean that Billie Jean King Cup and WTA Tour generate the same revenues as the men's counterparts. It's the reality. Men's tennis attracts a bigger audience. The ATP proposes to pool media rights together to sell them in one package for ATP and WTA events. In other words, broadcasters would have to buy WTA tournament rights if they also want to broadcast the ATP. So in a way, you're kind of holding the broadcasting channels hostage, saying we'll only give you access to the men's tennis if you agree to pay for the access to the women's events too. So the point is, it's a guy with a pretty high standing, the vice president of a country's tennis federation. And he said what I thought, which is once again, most people don't care about women's tennis. And it could be based off a sexist logic. It doesn't matter the the reason behind it. The point is, the ratings for men's tennis are a lot higher than for women's tennis. And we've seen the same thing in basketball, because the NBA had to basically keep the WNBA afloat. WNBA lost money for about 20 straight years, and people kept arguing, saying, well, this is sexist, you should pay the athletes more. No, you shouldn't, because your company and product doesn't make any money. Now, WTA, now the WTA can still potentially find ways to boost the overall profitability, we'll see what happens. Once again, according to this guy's projections, we're still about three years away from that, from potential bankruptcy, but the WNBA has seen a bit more of a spike in viewership and actual ticket sales. So maybe WNBA was able to turn around 20 years in. Maybe you can see that happen in this case for women's tennis. But as of right now, men's tennis generates money. Women's tennis does not. So to answer Sharapova's complaints... This is why men's players get paid more. That's really it. And you could also argue that's why that women should not get paid the same in Grand Slam events because more people are tuning in for the men's matches than the women's. But you're also pooling the overall, I guess, event on television where you're alternating between men's coverage and women's coverage, So, which is why you're paying everybody the same. But I wanted to go back to it because there are some rumors going around. As you cannot tell, the brief spark notes of what I just said the WTA might be on the verge of bankruptcy. And that's really the first news point I wanted to talk about because I think it's growing closer and closer to happening and they're denying it. You have seen some quotes from the WTA chairman and CEO, Steve Simon. And he said, quote, the WTA is in a healthy financial position. A merger with the ATP is not under consideration. And we are excited about our strong future during which we'll continue to grow and expand women's tennis. So, That was one quote that was said, but I think we can all kind of call BS on that one because one, you have a country head saying that the WTA is screwed, and B, it's not a coincidence that there's rumors about a merger when you're looking at WTA being in some financial struggles, and there are rumors about Saudi Arabia getting involved, and once again, that was from a couple months ago, but the fact that you have a certain entity or country in this case, which has been shelling out money to a bunch of different sports, whether it involves golf, whether it involves Formula One racing, even soccer. You have one country that is unloading money to get involved into sports, and suddenly your sport's involved, and there are now rumors about one of your branches, WTA, going bankrupt. There's a few too, there's a little bit too much smoke, to, and usually when there's smoke, there's fire. I think WTA is actually having financial trouble. I understand the argument of the chairman not wanting to admit that the company or entity that he's in charge of is on the verge of collapse. But when you connect all the dots, which is a country's head talking about the issues you have with money raising for women's tennis, potential merger rumors, and 
you have Saudi Arabia offering to basically offer a bailout to women's tennis. It does seem like WTA is actually having some trouble. But I wanted to at least circle back to what Sharapova said. Women's tennis does not generate that much money. And men's tennis generates more. So I feel like, once again, if you want to make arguments about how women should be paid the same as men in tennis, that's great. Maybe you should also watch the matches. Maybe you should also attend the matches. I feel like a lot of people are doing it because it sounds progressive and they don't want to be viewed as sexist and they want to be viewed as being equal opportunists. The problem is you got to at least acknowledge the economics. People, if they supported the women's sport as much as the men's, they would not be on the verge of financial collapse. It is what it is. So once again, I wanted to mention that there are some serious financial issues or at least rumors of financial issues with the women's tour. So keep an eye out for a merger or for something to happen drastic in the future, because I do believe the head of a country's tennis federation, when it comes to his stance on a, because he definitely knows behind the scenes information. And I do think he didn't just say that out of nowhere. I think there's some legitimacy to his quotes and claims. And I do think because of that, keep an eye on some potential merger or something in the future, because women's tennis, at least the current form of it, might not be sustainable for that much longer. But anyway, that's going to do it for the actual news portion. Now time to get into the reason why all of you are tuning into the show. Time to get into some actual outrights and some tournament previews. So we're going to start off with, uh, we're going to go with Vienna first. Going through the actual history of the event, Medvedev did win it last year as he was able to beat Chapo in the final. Zverev won in 2021. As he beat Tiafo, you had Rublev winning in 2020. As he beat Sunigo, team ended up beating Schwartzman in 2019. Anderson bit Nishikori in 2018. And the point is, you have not had a repeat winner in a long time. The last person to actually repeat win this event was Meltzer back in 2009-2010. So it's actually been a long time. Now, it used to be a 250. Then it got bumped to a 500. So I will admit, the talent pool used to be a lot weaker when it was a 250. But still, the point is you tend to see a different name lifting the trophy at the end of the actual event. Having said that, to get into the quarter odds for Vienna, you have Medvedev in the first quarter as a pretty big favorite at minus 125. You have Kashanov at plus 333. Dimitrov is 450. Laheshka is 6 to 1, Musetti is 18 to 1, and Phils is 18 to 1. Simply put, I'm taking Medvedev. I'm not going to take anybody else. I think that Kashanov looked pretty good against Safulin in his match on Monday. Uh, Phils, I think, is going to be too exhausted, so I'm not going to bother with him. And Dimitrov, simply put, I think he might be playing good tennis, but he's not good enough to beat Medvedev, in my opinion. I think that Medvedev would wear him down. And for the actual draw, it is a pretty favorable draw for Dimitrov. Uh, uh, well, not for Dimitrov. Well, Dimitrov, too. Dimitrov faced off against Musetti. I think he should win that one. Medvedev faced off against Phils, which could be interesting, but Phils might be exhausted once again following that final that he lost. I think that Phils isn't going to have much left in terms of stamina. So Medvedev would have to beat Phils, then Dimitrov most likely, and then probably Kashanov. I think Kashanov's going to beat Laheshka in the round of 16. I think Medvedev could handle it. Uh, if you want to go for somebody else, though, you probably would lean to Kashanov because you want to see Medvedev and Dimitrov and Phils kill each other. But give me Medvedev at minus 125, defending champion, to make a deep run. And I do think, once again, in terms of talent, he's much better than everybody else here. So give me uh, Medvedev to win the quarter at minus 125. Moving on to the second quarter, 
You have Sitsipas at plus 187, Pollard plus 275, Karatsev at 5 to 1, Makic at 8 to 1. You have uh, Gojo at 8 to 1, Team at 9 to 1, Vukic at 16 to 1, and Moore at 16 to 1. So Sitsipas looked pretty good in the last event. The problem was he eventually lost to Phils uh, in straight sets. So Sitsipas has done better, but once again, he has still been underachieving for a top 5, top 10 guy. Now, he did play a bunch of tennis because not only did he make it to the semis and lose, but he also won a title in doubles with his brother. So congrats to them. I believe that was their first doubles title, but he was playing extra tennis over the past week. So I think Sitsipas I'm going to be out on. I just don't trust him enough, and I do think that once again for a guy that I don't think is going to lose to team or to Makic or Vukic, I do think you can argue that it might be an interesting uh, section where if he did lose early, I would not be shocked. Now, team did take him to five sets, and I believe it was Wimbledon. But I do think team can make it interesting. Is he going to beat Sissipas? Probably not. But it is tied 5-5 in the head-to-head. 5-5, I think you can make an argument once again that you might see a bit of a marathon there because both guys aren't in great form. Sissipas is in better form, but 5-5 in the head-to-head. I know some of it came when team was you know still in his prime and everything, but still... I think team can make it interesting on Sitsipas in a potential fatigue angle. So I do think team, once again, can pull off this upset in theory. Now, Makic is in good form. I think he'll beat Vukic. Uh, as for the rest of the section, Karatsev, I think, might be tired. And Gojo is not a great person to face in the first round because Gojo is a big server. So I do think that Karatsev, if he's able to get past Gojo and he's not showing signs of exhaustion. I actually like his odds quite a bit at around 6-1, to one, or 5-1. to one. I'm just concerned about his overall stamina, which is going to be a problem. I think for that reason, I'm tempted by Gojo at 8-1. to one. I think Gojo's worth a look. He lost early on in the last event to Warenka, so he is rested. Once again, I do think the winner of this match can upset Tommy Paul, so I do think that you're looking at a guy who is a good server, he can somewhat neutralize Paul's return game if he's able to actually uh, get by Karatsev. I think I'm going to lean to Gojo for the value. I would take Karatsev if he did not just make it to a final and he did not have a mental breakdown during the final. So give me Gojo at 8-1 as my long shot here. Team at 9-1 to one I can't take, even if I am picking him to win. Facing off against Pass in the first match of the tournament is so rough, there's no value to that. So I think for the sake of this, I think I'm going to fade Pass. But I am going to go with Tommy Paul at plus 275 and Gojo at 8-1. to one. I really think Pass once again, at plus 187, I get it. You can argue it's a good price. I don't like his current form, and I do think that you're looking at a pretty good opportunity for two talented and underrated players. Tommy Paul is still very solid. You can argue the firepower is non-existent, and that's why Paul will never win anything of significance. But I think when you're looking at Paul, he definitely can make it out of this quarter, and I do like the odds. And Gojo, I think, is a good young player as well. So give me Gojo at 8-1, to one, and Tommy Paul at plus 275. Moving on to the third quarter, you have Zverev at minus 105, you have Rublev at plus 210, you have Nori at 6-1, to one, Arnaldi at 650, and Papyron at 22-1. to one. So I'm not going to spend any time on this. Simply put, I think Zverev and, and Rublev are going to play against each other. So I'm just going to take those two. But Pyron at 22 to 1 is tempting because Pyron's actually been in pretty good form lately. Nori, no chance I'm taking. I know he ended up beating Missilich in three, but he's had a really bad year. No chance. And Arnaldi, I don't think he's a good enough server, so I think he's going to lose. Uh, Zverev and Rublev should face off against each other. But Pyron at 22 to 1, though, you can argue there is some value there. But 
at the end of the day, I think you're probably going to end up seeing a Rublev beat Papyron in the first round. I think he'll beat Arnaldi in the next round, and you're going to see Zverev beat Nori. So give me Zverev at minus 105, and give me Rublev at plus 210. Moving on to the fourth quarter, you have Sinner at minus 125, Tiafo at plus 450, Monfi at 5-1, to one, Shelton at 750, Sunigo at 10-1, Evans at 10-1, and then you have Sarandolo at 12-1, to one, and Altmaier at 20-1. to one. Sinner's my pick. I'm not going to spend much time on it. I want to make a case for Shelton, but I am worried about him being exhausted I would say drunk, but he's technically underage, but he's in Europe, so he probably has been celebrating pretty hard, but he just made the top 15, just won his first ever title. It was a 500 in Japan. I think he's going to be exhausted, so I have no interest in Shelton. Tiafo's a head case pass. He's been really bad the last month. Give me Sinner at minus 125. I'm not going to spend much time on it. And Monfi, once again, congrats for winning a title, but I would be shocked if he ended up making it past the second round in this event. So give me Sinner. At minus 125, and that's going to be it for the quarters. Moving on to the actual title odds, you have Medvedev as the favorite to repeat at plus 275. You have Sinner at plus 450, Zverev at plus 450 as well, Rublev at 8 to 1, Sissipas at 9 to 1, Dimitrov at 14 to 1. Uh, to be honest, there's a bunch of guys here that I'm not interested in. Sheldon's 25 to 1. Once again, I said I'm going to pass because I think he's going to be a bit hungover from winning a title. Paul's at 20 to 1. I think he's good enough to win. Uh, yeah, simply put, I'm going chalk here. I know it's boring if I'm going to stick with the main favorites, but I think Medvedev or Sinner or Zverev win this event. You can argue maybe Rublev, but he's been so bad historically against Medvedev. So I do think when you're looking at this overall tournament, I got to take the favorites. It's going to be very boring. They give me Medvedev at 275, give me Sinner at plus 450, and give me Zverev at plus 450. I'm really not interested in anybody else. If you want to take Rublev at 800, knock yourself out, but it's not going to be me. I'm taking those three, and that's going to be it for Vienna. Once again, it's a 500. I know that the 500 in Tokyo was an absolute circus, but I do think this one's going to be more straightforward. Give me Medvedev. If I had to pick one guy, I'd pick Medvedev to repeat, but Sinner's been in great form. He just won a title, and he beat Medvedev in the final there, and Zverev's good too, so give me those three as my picks. And moving on to Basel, I'm going to get into basically the Federer Invitational by going through the history of the event. Federer's won it 10 times. So it is the Federer Invitational. It is in Switzerland. So, of course, Federer would always dominate in his home country. But you had Felix win last year against Rune in the final. A reminder when both those guys were in great form. And it's kind of fun to look at now because at this point uh, this year, both of them have fallen off a cliff. But Federer... Had one of 10 times, and you saw Dimenauer make a final. He lost in 2019. It was not held in 2020 and 2021 because of COVID. So there was a bit of a gap here, but Felix did beat Rune in the final last year. Now to look at the actual uh, quarter odds for this event, you have Murray as the favorite in the first quarter following his win against Hanfman on Monday at plus 150. Rune is plus 333. Kekmanovic is 4-1. to one. Baez is 5-1. to one. And Echeverry is 550. So... Murray, to go through the actual draw for uh, everybody in the section, Murray has a matchup against Echeverry in the next round. Can be interesting. Echeverry did end up upsetting Korda on Monday, and they actually faced off earlier this year in Indian Wells, and that was not an easy win for Murray. They faced off in the first round. Murray did win in three. He lost the first set and came back. So I think Murray, once again, looked good in the first round. He got a haircut. He looked pretty sharp. But I do think Echeverry can make it interesting. The thing is, do I really think Murray should ever be favored to win a quarter in a in an event like this? No. 
I don't. I, I think that Murray is overrated at this stage in his career. I know he can occasionally have some moments, and I think the time off did him good because he was in really bad form after Safoul and Curb stomped him. But I think looking at this overall spot, do I have any faith in Rune, who's been so bad, and he has a brand-new head coach? Do I think Rune can pull this off because he made the final last year? I don't know. Uh, Kikmanovic, I'm not taking. Uh, I think 4-1 to one is a little bit too low for a guy that had a pretty deep run last uh, this past weekend, and I don't exactly trust him. Baez at 5-1 to one is interesting, but he's not a good enough hardcore play on a regular basis for me to actually trust. Am I actually going to make a case for Rune? Like, I feel like the more that I think about it, the nuttier it sounds, but I actually don't mind the value here with Rune. Let me just see the actual draw for him. So Rune has a matchup against Kikmanovic in the first round, which is kind of funny because they just faced off about a week ago, and Kikmanovic beat him in the first round of Stockholm. You tend to see, once again, immediate rematches where the guy who lost ends up bouncing back. But I think whoever wins that Rune-Kikmanovic match has an advantage because they faced off against Baez in the round of 16. And I think Echeverry has been in better hardcore form recently than Baez. I know Baez won a hardcore title a couple months ago, but yeah, he went to three sets against O'Connell. Echeverry beat Korda. Echeverry's been good in the hardcore season. I know he lost to Alranka in four sets in the U.S. Open, but he made it to the third round. He's been playing some good tennis, and I do think that Rune might be worth a look. I think, I think I'm going to do it. You know what? It's a matter of a lesser of two evils for me. I can't take Murray at 150, but Rune at 333 in a tournament that he made the final of last year. I don't hate it. Maybe Becker finds something and they tweak something quickly. Give me Rune at plus 333. It might be a donation, but I think I'm going to make a case for it. And I think I am going to lean to Echeverry, too, at 550. He might lose to Murray, but I think the price is way off for Murray. I don't trust him enough. Give me Echeverry at 550 as well. So first quarter, I have absolute just anarchy, and I'm going to go with chaos. So that's going to be my pick there for the first quarter. Might be donations, but I still like the value on Rune at 333 and Echeverry at 550. Moving on to the second quarter, you have Fritz at 150, Zan Schulp at 275, Felix at 333, Warenka at 5 to 1, Shevchenko 16 to 1, Reddy at 18 to 1, and Purcell at 25 to 1. No long shots I'm tempted by here, so I'm tossing out the final three guys. Fritz has been playing very poor tennis recently. He's still right now with a shot to make it to Turin. But it's been a disaster for him recently. And he was good in the Asian hardcourt section of the schedule in the past. Not this year. So we'll hope we'll see if Fritz can turn it around. I'm skeptical. Uh Zanchop looked good. Ended up going three sets against Batista Agut on Monday, but he did win that one. Uh so looking at the actual section here is a pretty good draw. Uh Zanchop's facing off against the winner of Reddy and Felix which can go to anybody. I think Reddy's alive because it is in Switzerland. So I think he can pull off the upset on Felix. Then again, anybody can upset Felix at this point in the season. I think Zanchov's worth a look, though. I like how he played against uh, Batista Agut. Now, Fritz has basically a bye because Purcell's been terrible. Warenka, I think, is going to beat Shevchenko. I think Warenka can beat Fritz because it also is in Switzerland, so it's in Warenka's home country, and Fritz, once again, has been in bad form. So I think if I was going to actually make picks for this quarter, I understand the argument for Fritz because on paper, the section is not that difficult, but I don't trust Fritz, and I think I'm going to stay away from him because of it. I want nothing to do with him 
at 150. And I think I'm just going to stay away and go for more chaos. Give me Zan Schulp at 275, and I'm going to go with Warenka at 5-1. to one. Give me some home country pride. Give me Warenka at 5-1 to one to shock some people and to make it into a semi. And moving on into the third quarter, you have Hercatch at plus 175. You have Dimenauer at uh, 240, Struff at 350, Greek Sport 4-1, to one, and then you have a bunch of long shots who have no chance. So Hercatch, of course, won a title, then lost immediately to Zhang, which was expected because he played a bunch of tennis and he was exhausted, and he might have had a cramp there at the end of that third set against Zhang in the rematch. Hercatch is definitely worthy of being a favorite because he just won a Masters 1000 event. Dimenauer has not been in great form recently. I'm going to stay away from him. He was definitely playing some great tennis a couple months ago, but recently he's been fine, but not exceptional. And you kind of need to be to win a quarter here. Struff at 350 is interesting because he did end up beating Eubanks in straight sets. Very good serve. I think that Struff can definitely make a deep run here. And he was in great form before he got injured earlier this year. Now, to go through the actual path here, you have Dimenauer probably having basically a bye into the... A quarterfinal. So you're looking at Dimenauer facing off against Schwartzman, who had just beaten straight sets, and then probably Greek Spore, because I think Seaboth Wild is going to lose. So I think Dimenauer is good enough to make it into that uh, quarter. To make it into that quarter. So I guess what you're asking is, do I think Struff has what it takes to beat Hercatch and Dimenauer? I think Struff can beat Hercatch, but I do think that Dimenauer. The more that I actually look at it, I think I have to take him. Because I do think that Greek Spore has been a bit underwhelming recently, and Dimenauer's draw is pretty favorable. I kind of, t- I think I have to take it back. I have to renege on what I just said. I got to go with Dimenauer at two forty. I like the price too much, and I think that his draw for that price is a very good deal. As for her catch, I think I'm going to take him over Struff. I think that match is a coin flip, though. So if you want to take a flyer on Struff, I would probably. I would probably just tell you to roll over the money lines because I think that if he beats her catch, he still could lose to Dimenauer. I think Dimenauer has the game that can make life difficult for Struff because he's a very offensive-minded guy, and I do think that his unforced error count can be his undoing in that potential matchup. But for the sake of this, I'm going to go with Chalk again. Give me her catch at 175 and give me Dimenauer at 240. I say Chalk again because the last event we went all Chalk. For this one, we've been a bit more up in the air with it. So I actually like the idea of going Chalk here in the third quarter. And moving on to the fourth quarter, you have an absolute free-for-all. You have Root at plus 275. The favorite is plus 275. You have Umbera at 375. Or you have Manorino at 450. Jari's at 550. Bublik's at 7 to 1. No interest in Bublik. He just won a title. No chance he actually tries in this event. Stricker's at 750. Giron's at 11 to 1. And Hassan is at 14 to 1. So I got to go with the actual draw in this one because it is definitely up in the air. So you have Rude against Bublik in the first round. I think Rude wins it. I think Bublik basically no shows. I think Rude's going to bury him in that one. You have Stricker against against Hassan. I think Stricker's going to beat him, and I think Stricker actually can beat Rude uh, if they end up facing off because Stricker can come to the net, and Rude does stand very far back on his returning position. So I do think that Stricker has the game to potentially pull it off. Now I am very tempted by the long shots in this section. The problem is they're all going to be against each other because Giron is against Umber in the first round. And Umber is currently up one nothing in the head-to-head. Uh, they did face off in 2020, so that means nothing. That was three years ago. But I do think that once again, Giron's in good form, and Umber's been in good form. You have Jari against Manorino, which is very interesting as well. 
I think I'd lean to Manorino in that one. Jari has a lot of firepower. Manorino is so just unorthodox that I think Jari is going to be slamming unforced errors all match long. The serve, of course, is good for Jari, but I do think Manorino is crafty enough to get the job done there. So Manorino, obviously, I have to consider taking because he's been so good this year. And I know he lost early in the last event. I don't mind it. He played a lot of tennis, and he ended up losing early. He had a chance to get some rest and to recharge his batteries. I like Manorino at 450. He's perfect for this quarter because it's so unpredictable. And his level of play is so unorthodox that I do think he's a very good value play at 450. I think I have to do it. I think I have to give out Giron at 11-1. to He's been in great form, and we saw Giron really look Comfortable, and he should have beaten Shelton. Shelton won the event. Giron was up a set and a double break in the second set. I think 11 to 1 is a phenomenal price. Now, of course, the argument is you have to beat Umber, which is not easy in the first round because Umber has been in good form. But do I think Umber should be 375 while Giron is 11 to 1? No. I think that's an insane disparity that's probably not worthy of being the case. Root, I'm not taking. I get it's 275, and I know he's a top 10 ranked player. He's or a top 15. He's been so bad in the hard court season. I can't take him. So I'm not going to go with him. I think I'm going to go with Manorino at 450. I'm going to go with Stricker at 750. I think his game can potentially surprise some people. I think he can definitely upset Rude if he's willing to charge the net. And I do think Giron at 11 to 1 is worth a look as well. So, for recap purposes and all things being considered for the quarters, in Vienna, I have chalk. And in Basel, I have chaos in three out of the four quarters, with the exception of the third quarter. But anyway, for my actual outrights to win the event, uh, Fritz, I'm not taking. Hercatch, I'm not taking. Uh, I mean, Hercatch, you can consider, I guess, at 550, but nah, I don't think he's going to end up winning this one. Dimenauer at nine to one, eh, maybe, maybe not. I, I feel like this one's going to be a bit more open for me. I think Dimenauer I have to take actually because once again the draw is quite favorable. And if he has basically a buy into the quarters, then I do have to like your opportunity. Now I know some of you are going to say, well, don't dismiss Greek Spore. He's a solid player. He's won a couple titles this year. I get it. I've watched him for the last month. I'm not. I'm not interested. I think Greek Spore is in bad form. So I'm going to go with Dimenauer nine to one as my lowest odds pick. Uh, if you want to take her catch too, I don't mind it, but I'm not going to. Uh, besides that, Rune at twelve to one. I'm not taking. It's one thing to pick him to win the quarter, but to win the title. I can't do that at 12 to 1. So that I'm not interested in. Zanchop at 14 to 1. I think it's interesting because I do think he's in good form. And I do think his draw and the overall quarter is actually quite open. But to read off the draw for Zanchop one more time matchup against Felix and then probably Walrenka or Fritz. I think Zanchop can win that. And then he has a matchup against probably Murray or Rune. I really think there's a decent path there for Zanschulp. Now, Zanschulp did choke in a final earlier this year, so I do question if the nerves will get the better of him. But 14-1, to 1, I don't hate it. I'll take a flyer there. I have to take a flyer on Manorino at 18-1. to 1. It's too fun. Manorino has just been one of those guys who's been a thorn in everybody's side for the last couple of months because he's just been very consistent and very solid. And I think that 18-1 to 1 is a very good price for a dangerous guy or a dangerous unpredictable, unorthodox player like Manorino. So give me him as well. 
Wawrinka's the fun choice at 22 to 1, but I'm not going to do it. And I didn't mention before, Stricker, by the way, is Swiss. So I do like him, of course, to win the quarter. 35 to 1 to win the event. I think Stricker's too young. I think he's too immature to actually get over the finish line. So I think for the sake of this tournament, gear on a 50 to 1, I'm not taking. I think he's good enough to win the quarter, not good enough to win the overall event. So once again, my outright picks for Basel, I'm going to go with Dimenauer at 9 to 1. I'm going to go with Zan Schulp at 14 to 1. And I am going to go with Manorino at 18 to 1. That's going to wrap it up for my actual outright picks and overall tournament previews for Vienna and Basel. Now it's time for the Lock and Dog picks. But for any of that, kind of a quick word from our sponsor. We're brought to you by Unruck Fantasy. Unruck Fantasy has a way to play alongside your favorite football team all season long. Unruck has just introduced Scorchers. Go five for five and pick them Scorchers and enjoy a spicy 100x payout. And for a limited time offer, Underdog is extending the first deposit bonus up to $500. $100,000 Sundays continue on Underdog Fantasy. 10 lucky players will win 10k each. So watch along, make your picks, and maybe make a little cash over Unrog's mobile app or website, UnrogFantasy.com. And when you sign up, remember to use the promo code SGPN. Unrog will double your first deposit up to $500. It's Unrog Fantasy, promo code SGPN. The NBA is back, and to celebrate, we're giving away an NBA gambling podcast hoodie. Head over to sportsgampodcast.com slash NBA dog to, to submit a screenshot of you playing NBA Underdog using our promo code SGPN. And one random winner will get an NBA Gambling Podcast hoodie. Just go to sportscampodcast.com slash NBA dog. We're also brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets. Win bigger by betting smarter this NFL season with Hall of Fame Bets, the sports betting analytics platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Research every NBA, NFL, MLB, and soccer bet with historical stats and data. Enter any parlay idea into Hall of Fame Bets' revolutionary parlay optimizer tool to get hit rates broken down by leg, as well as an expected probability for the entire parlay. Sort all players by hit rate for any bet to learn which players are hot and which picks have value. So stop betting in the dark and join over 30,000 users researching with Hall of Fame Bets to craft more intelligent, data-driven parlays. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit hofbets.com and use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month today. Start researching, start winning with Hall of Fame Bets. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing the two ATP events taking place over the next week in Vienna and Basel. Now it's time for the actual lock and dog picks. Starting off with the lock, I am going to go to a matchup taking place between Fritz and Purcell in Basel. I'm going to go with Fritz to win in straight sets, or in other words, I'm going to go with Purcell to not win a set at minus 158 on FanDuel. Simply put, even though I have acknowledged Fritz has not been in good form lately, Purcell's been a disaster. Purcell's been awful, and I do think, once again, the rise that he had in the middle of the summer was kind of fluky, and he's reverted back to being a challenger-level player, not to mention the fact he was playing a lot of tennis over the past week because he did win the title in doubles. So I do think after his title run with Hitchikata in doubles, he might be a bit tired, but Fritz is the much better player. It's not even close, and Purcell's been in really bad form in singles. So for that reason, I am going to go with Fritz to win in straight sets at minus 158 as my lock. And for my dog, I am going to go to a matchup in Vienna between Gojo and Karatsev. I am going to go with Gojo Moneyline at even money. Simply put, I think Karatsev is a solid player, but I question the fatigue after playing in the final. And I also question his mental, I'd say, fortitude after he completely imploded in the final against Shelton, where he was spiking rackets and he just looked like he was having another breakdown. I don't think he's going to respond well after being that close to winning a title and now having to start back from scratch. 
I don't think he's going to look sharp, and I do think that Gojo is very alive to beat him. Gojo has already beaten him once this uh, once in their careers. It was on clay back in 2019, which means basically nothing. But the point is, Gojo has seen him before, so maybe that instills a little bit of confidence in him. But Gojo has only played one match since the Davis Cup, which was his match in Stockholm that he lost to Warenka, which once again, it was a close match, but it was his first match in about a month. So I do think he'll look sharper. This time around, he was playing good tennis in the U.S. Open and in the Davis Cup as he beat the likes of Tiafo and Greekspor. I think he's a good player, simply put. I think he's a bit undervalued, and I do think that he's a very good server. Karatsev, I think, will have a mental lapse or two, and I do think that he might still be feeling the effects of losing that final in... Uh, or That would have been the biggest win of his career, realistically. He would have won a 500, an ATP 500 title, and now he's got nothing. I think Karatsev's a prime candidate to blow up in this match. So give me Gojo Moneyline at even money. So once again, my lock and dog picks for the show. The lock's going to be on Fritz to win in straight sets at minus 158. And my dog will be Gojo Moneyline at even money. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. We're back once again for the semifinals of these two tournaments. Until then, though, find me on Twitter at Rice Show Radio. Find me on the NBA show. Reminder, NBA season is starting on Tuesday. So, of course, we have the NBA Gambling Podcast in full swing for the entire season. MLB show, I'm still on. You have WNBA show, which is over. But, of course, uh, we are going to be doing the season wrap-up show uh, for that. But besides, and the NFL show, which I got to obviously mention. But until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.